Hi, Chris Ruvo here for ASI's Counselor Magazine. As part of our ongoing 2019 State of the Industry coverage, I'll be chatting today with Mark Simon. Mark, of course, is CEO of Top 40 distributor Halo Branded Solutions and Counselor's 2019 Person of the Year. It's an honor Mark well deserves. In his 17 years at Halo, he's taken the firm from near extinction and bankruptcy to the third largest distributorship in the promotional products industry. And in recent years, he's executed on a scale that's arguably unmatched by other industry executives, spearheading organic growth and high-profile acquisitions of some of the biggest firms in promo. Mark, thank you for taking a few minutes to talk. My pleasure, Chris. All right, so let's jump into the first question here. What are a few of the proudest achievements of your career so far at Halo? Well, you know, we have a, we've accomplished a great deal, you know, taking the company out of Chapter 11, growing it through acquisitions, uh, having uh, sales from one private equity uh, firm as an investor to another. Uh, but I, I've been proudest of the uh, the challenges that our management team has been able to take on uh, in connection with both the, the acquisitions that they have integrated as well as all of the questions that especially the doubting Thomas type questions Mm -hmm. that come from any prospective investor Mm -hmm. and the ability of our entire team to work together to create value by explaining our business so well uh, and accomplishing the acquisitions in a way that have worked for all parties. Very good. And um, as I as I understand it, there um, the management team um, with some of these private equity transactions, they, there's been a nice benefit for them too, right? Uh, it's worked out really well. We've had it was about 17 or 18 people uh, who have been uh, through two uh, investments that came to fruition, where there we call it a liquidity event, mm-hmm. and where we literally were able to change the lives of a number of people. And uh, we now have uh, about 35 people invested in the company, 35 members of the management team Mm -hmm. invested in the company who share in the upside, who understand how it works. And as a result, when we're facing a challenge or an opportunity or we have a mountain we need to climb, I'm talking to my partners Mm -hmm. and and as partners, we work together to help each other and each other's families. And it's worked so well uh, to be able to do that. So clearly, um, you and Halo have had a lot of success over the years. Um, but there, but as you kind of alluded to earlier, there's definitely been some challenges along the way. Um, what have been a, a couple of the biggest challenges that you faced so far at, at Halo? And kind of how did you overcome them? Well, the, the biggest challenge uh, that, that we face, and it, this is you know ancient history to most people, mm-hmm. but when I joined Halo in uh, the beginning of 2001, Halo was in uh, dire straits. Mm-hmm. We spent uh, my first 100 days creating enough liquidity to get debtor in possession financing so we could file Chapter 11. We we couldn't afford to file a Chapter 11. It's, it's expensive mm-hmm. to... Uh, go through the process of reorganizing the business. And uh, so we created the liquidity. We came up with the plan. We filed Chapter 11, and we executed the plan. So uh, we we achieved profitability within 
10 months of filing, mm-hmm. and we were able to exit the Chapter 11 in less than two years from the day we entered. So that would, certainly was a major uh, accomplishment that our team uh, was able to uh, achieve. And it took the relationship that uh, people like Terry McGuire and Jack Bewarder and Pam Gray and Donalds and others had with suppliers that allowed suppliers to believe in us and, and give us a chance to, to come back. And we've always valued the relationship with our suppliers from this hard lesson I learned mm-hmm. upon entering uh, uh, the industry and seeing how dependent we were on, on the entire supply chain. So that was one big challenge, getting through that. And in doing so, a number of very good people lost their jobs because we just didn't have room for people mm-hmm. in the company if we were going to survive. We also changed the number of the business rules that impacted some account executives who who chose to leave. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we understood that uh, when they did leave, more expense left than revenue, and that's what gave us our final push to be profitable. So we were able to do that. It, it was the the 2001 turnaround that was the biggest challenge, of course. We were challenged like every company when we came to uh, late 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. We saw it coming. Uh, we were we acted very, very promptly. We didn't wait till uh, the pain grew so bad. Uh, we, we took difficult actions. We took them immediately, though. Mm-hmm. And we were experienced at it. We knew how to do it. We had done it previously, and taking those actions uh, preserved most of the profitability of the company, and it set us up for future growth. Mm -hmm. So those were, I would say, the the biggest challenges. They were financial, Mm -hmm. caused by the condition we came into, and then caused by uh, the Great Recession uh, of 08 and 09. I got you. Let's let's shift gears um, maybe away from from pure business for a second here and talk a little bit about you. You um you grew up in Chicago. Your mother, as I understand it, was an educator. Your your father was a a taxi driver, a hardworking guy who worked his way up to have a, a small cab company. Um, what what influence did your parents and and kind of maybe even Chicago itself kind of have on on you? Uh, yeah. So my mom taught school. Mm-hmm. And uh, she taught grade school in the Chicago uh, public school system. And to my mother, education was everything. And uh, the importance of uh, a strong academic background was was everything. So she pushed me hard in that direction. Uh, I saw my dad, who started out as a uh, a taxi cab driver in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, he was an, uh, he was very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. And uh, over uh, he, uh, over time, he was able to buy uh, a total of four taxi cab medallions. Mm-hmm. So he drove a day shift. He had three other day drivers. He had four night drivers, and he had several uh, swing guys who who worked the odd shift. So that you know, his goal was to get fourteen shifts a week, two shifts a day out of every taxi cab, and uh, he came close. Mm-hmm. And I would hear him at the dinner table about issues he had on you know, if you go here for this kind of repair versus there for that kind of repair, the difference in quality, the difference in when the cab would come back online, which was vital because a 
taxi cab out of service was uh, impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a uh, we had a very modest ranch house in a uh, one of those baby boomer neighborhoods where got built in the 1950s, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, a Levittown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we had a basement filled with tires when my dad got a deal <laughs> on, on tires for the cabs. And I can, if I got a nickel for every taxi cab I washed when I was a kid, uh, I'd have a lot of nickels. <laughs> so uh, I, I learned a lot about uh, entrepreneurship from my dad. Mm-hmm. And then my, my mother's brother, my uncle, with whom I was also very close, was a lawyer, mm-hmm. and it was always my plan. It may shock some people. It was not my plan. I didn't dream of selling coffee mugs and writing instruments and even <laughs> right. T-shirts. Right. It was always my plan to be a lawyer, and I, I became a lawyer. I, my uncle was my role model. He went on to be a judge, and I built a very nice law practice, and I shocked people when I left it to, uh, uh, to go into business. And um, you know that that's interesting. Why why make that decision? What what prompted you to do that? To leave a, a legal career that you that you dreamed about and that you were also very successful in for um, for one in the business world, so to speak. Well, uh, so I was in a law firm that had at the time about 120 lawyers. Uh, the Pritzker family was the largest client of the firm, and the mm-hmm. firm uh, at that time did uh, most of their work. Uh, two guys in my firm had the Pritzkers, mm-hmm. uh, and they were they had the biggest practice. I had the next biggest practice. And in a firm with uh, a number of Harvard-educated lawyers, one of our lawyers was uh, the former dean of the U- University of Chicago Law School. We had a very prestigious firm. And in that firm, I had the third biggest practice, mm-hmm. and I had about 35 businesses in a wide range of industries that I was the trusted family counselor for, and I was on the board of directors of some of those companies. And one of them, not not even quite my largest client, they were in the call center industry. Uh, the entrepreneur who owned it was planning to take it public. He and I were working on it together, and he made me an offer. I, I couldn't refuse mm-hmm. to join him in that business. And I joined the CFO. I have an accounting background as well. Mm-hmm. So I joined the CFO. And within a year, I was running the operations of the business, and we grew to 18,000 people in 55 call centers around the country before call centers started to get outsourced to India and the Philippines. It was all U.S. Mm -hmm. at the time. And there came a time when I felt, if I'm going to be in business, I really would prefer to be the CEO Mm -hmm. and make the, uh, the strategic decisions, articulate the vision and the mission, and uh, I started to make it known, and along came my old client, Halo, mm-hmm. uh, for whom I had done their legal work uh, for their IPO in 1992. And they they said they're running a search right now to hire a C- CEO, and if I'd be interested, they'd love to have me just take it on. And I agreed to do it, and it turned out the situation was far, far worse right. than what uh, I was led to believe it was and. That's how I ended up at Halo. Right, and you and you of course articulated earlier the whole the the uh, the ordeal with bankruptcy and re- the return to profitability and everything. Um, you in, you you mentioned a couple of things in there though that I found interesting that that you you were attracted to being CEO um, because you would really be able to articulate the vision of a company, a strategy, and certainly in recent years. Um, 
Halo strategy has certainly been to 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 be pretty aggressive in making acquisitions. Um, some extremely high profile ones. You bought Sunrise Identity last year, a top forty firm. You bought CSE, another top forty firm. Why has Halo been so aggressive in in making acquisitions in recent years? Well, uh, at Halo, we had focused on being uh, at first the most efficient order management company in, in the industry. We felt that's where so much of the expense was. Mm-hmm. And if we could drive cost down in that area, we could uh, we, we could be very competitive. Mm-hmm. And as we did that, we realized that the revenue of some other distributorships was more valuable to us mm-hmm. than it was to them. Mm-hmm. And we began to make acquisitions. JII was our first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a business that was losing money. And uh, we were able to, to uh, pay a price to uh, a, a corporation that was, that was much like a PE firm. Uh, this corporation owned it. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, uh, they just couldn't make money at it. We, we, we paid them more than enough to get mm-hmm. the deal done. And uh, we were able to take cost out from the very beginning. It was one of the most complicated acquisitions we did. It was our very first one. Our team executed beautifully. This was the beginning of 2004, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very profitable for us. Mm-hmm. So we we started to, to do a couple more. And what we have found in doing the acquisitions uh, is if we're doing the right deals, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. We can pay uh, a price to the seller that is um, is at least as much as they could get anywhere else. We we probably overpay by a little bit, but we can afford to because the revenue is more valuable to us. We could be a hero to the seller and still have a highly accretive, attractive deal for ourselves. Uh, it it provides the opportunity for us to show the sales force of the seller. Because of our scale, better sourcing, uh, more capabilities, uh, capabilities that they can sell, like fulfillment programs or recognition mm-hmm. or uniforms, and, and also marketing tools that they can use to expand their business. And while we do that, it works for our employees because we provide a more stable uh, uh, employment future for our people. Uh, we're very good citizens in Sterling, Illinois, where we're a large employer. Mm-hmm. The city is very supportive of us, and it provides a career path for our employees to to move up, uh, take on more management, grow their compensation, and then we're, we're creating value. Mm-hmm. And that value translates into returns for our investors, and we have to create value to attract capital. So it, it becomes a flywheel. The the more we grow, the more profitable we, we become. The more profitable we become, the more we can reinvest in additional capabilities, additional services. And the more we do that, the more we can grow. And that's why we have been, you know, pretty focused mm-hmm. on going down this path uh, and doing the right acquisitions for us. Now, as far as those acquisitions go, of course, there's a 
there's um a lot of negotiation that goes on and um uh, you've obviously been doing this a while and 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 well i'm curious what are some of your your top tips for bringing negotiations to a to a successful conclusion for everybody involved yeah and it, you know when when you say negotiation it sounds at first blush like mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's a an athletic event where there's a winner and a loser. Right. But yet you you also said uh, where you can make it work for everybody, mm-hmm. and that's really what our focus is. Where we we view that process as uh, a process that allows us to build a relationship of trust, uh, a relationship where the the seller can can truly accept that we're paying very fair value, that they're being treated fairly and honestly, nobody wants to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And and if you try to win, uh, uh, you, you may win some point with somebody, but in the long run, uh, especially in an industry like ours, uh, it's going to catch up to you. So uh, we work hard at building relationships, building trust. If we can't do something that somebody wants, we're going to tell them exactly why we can't do it. But more importantly, we're going to be asking them, why is it that you need that? Maybe we could find another way to get to some uh, solution that can work for you as well. So we're, we're always looking for how we can find uh, uh, points of, uh, of commonality mm-hmm. between us and a prospective seller, because in most cases, that prospective seller is going to become a part of our company mm. and is going to be one of the people that we're going to rely on in the future. So if we beat them, if they find out that, you know, we made a fool of them, we get, we, you know, we, we paid 10 to everybody else and we bought theirs for seven, mm. they're going to feel bad. They're going to, they're going to feel duped. And, uh, and then you're not getting what you really want, which is the future relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's not about a transaction; it's about relationship building. Interesting. All right. Um, does Halo plan to stay aggressive on, on acquisitions? And 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 if so, do you do you think that you you could move the company to, into some adjacent fields? Um, you know, for instance, a couple years back, right, the Michael Sifina uh, um, acquisition that was a, a major uh, awards and recognition firm. Do you see something like that where you might where Halo could start to Diversify beyond you know your traditional promotional products as we think of them. Um, I do see us diversifying to to a limited extent mm-hmm. beyond promotional products. We'll continue to um, focus on our core strength, which is promotional products, and and utilizing our our scale and our expertise to bring more people into the fold. We hope to be able to do that. We intend to. Uh, we also uh, see the the employee recognition and reward space as one uh, that is every bit as large a market as promotional products, and it's every bit as fragmented mm. as promotional products. So we believe there'll be opportunity for us to get on to the strength that we have with Halo recognition. Uh, we bought Michael C. Fina. Uh, and we changed the name to Halo Recognition. Yeah. We did it. We bought the company in February of 2017. It has been a magnificent acquisition for us. There have been several people from Halo Recognition that have taken much larger roles 
in throughout all of Halo, mm. and I see us continuing to grow in that area. There may be another uh, adjacent market uh, that we might consider at some point, uh, but right now our plate is pretty full, mm-hmm. uh, and, but we will stay focused in these areas. Interesting. Um, we've been talking a lot about Halo. Let's maybe pull the, the camera back to a, a wider angle for a second and talk about the industry a, as a whole. Um, you have pretty good perspective on it, obviously. What are some of the biggest challenges that you feel the, the, the promo industry is facing today, and kind of how can they be overcome? Yeah, there are plenty of challenges, but they are dwarfed by the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But let me start with the challenges. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now everybody's talking about tariffs on again, off again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't know for sure. So the stability of the supply chain is something that we have to remain focused on. Mm-hmm. Geopolitical events, um, uh, uh, tariff fights, whatever it is, uh, that's a that's an issue, yeah. and uh, we see our suppliers uh, uh, migrating into other uh, countries, mm-hmm. uh, becoming more diverse themselves in terms of which countries they're uh, prepared to uh, uh, rely upon, and that's a very good thing. But certainly, the stability of the supply chain should be everybody's focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, product safety. Uh, uh, it continues to be a very important subject. Uh, all of us are, you know, one terrible, tragic accident away from a horrible headline mm-hmm. that embarrasses the heck out of uh, uh, somebody's, you know, very valuable uh, client mm-hmm. and their extremely valuable logo. And we all have to be very, very uh, careful and diligent and aware of that. Uh, Challenge how how to better use technology. Mm-hmm. There are so many opportunities for all of us to do a better job with technology, whether it's communicating between supplier and distributor, or with uh, our end user customer, uh, or uh, you know on uh, on the web, uh, marketing that uh, that could be done. Uh, plenty of challenges there, and um, for many of us, understanding. The needs of the next generation of promotional buyers mm-hmm. uh, will be something we all have to be aware of. Uh, the age gap between a number of exceedingly successful promotional product sellers and the people to whom they're selling mm-hmm. is something we're all going to have to uh, uh, be attuned to, remain focused on. And uh, <clears throat> if I didn't mention, digital disruption is something that always uh, should be on people's minds. Uh, let me mention it now. It's certainly is, it, it's an issue. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, it's it's been a, an interesting opportunity for companies. And whatever it is that uh, has uh, occurred, <laughs> uh, for the most part, is already in place. Uh, so, but but yet something to be aware of. So those there's probably more challenges, but uh, there are. There are several for you. All right, fair, fair enough. And you mentioned, of course, that that the opportunities dwarf the um, those challenges. What are some of the big opportunities you you see for our industry? Uh, well, first and foremost, every organization has uh, valid use for promotional products. Mm-hmm. Promotional products work; they get the job done. Uh, you can get the right product uh, at the right price 
for the uh, that is the, that appeals to the right demographic that you want to uh, uh, reach, uh, and you can get many many viewings of it. Unlike a uh, you know a newspaper ad or a billboard or a TV ad or or, mm-hmm. or so forth, uh, and that's that is has always been an important message. However, as companies become more data driven. Uh, and they become capable of zeroing in more and more on exactly who their customer is they want to reach. Uh, the more they could spend per promotional product uh, uh, that uh, they would provide and the more effective the promotional product can be. Mm-hmm. So uh, as uh, uh, data-driven companies uh, uh, put more of that skill set into their marketing and advertising, uh, I see it leading to uh, the next level, uh, uh, the next wave of growth for our our industry. There'll be new products. There's always new products that uh, come along. Uh, But uh, I see this as being uh, a big mover for us over the course of the next few years. Uh, So, you know, that's, uh, that's, you know, the value of the promotional product yeah, the the value of target marketing, how it's going to relate to to all of us, uh, and the ability to address uh, more complex needs that are uh, uh, that end users have uh, as their needs grow. Uh, security, I, I didn't mention security mm-hmm. as uh, another challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to be plugged in uh, to uh, 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 to their system. And people are going to do a single sign-in and have access to our uh, catalogs and, and uh, ordering uh, machinery. Uh, we have to be uh, secure, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I see that as uh, certainly for companies that are willing to invest in it. I see that as great opportunity. Uh, the scale will will allow for uh, a safe buy. Uh, uh, approach to many of our end users. Uh, very interesting points, all, all of them, um, Mark. Especially for for me, the the point on data, because I I do think there are some out there who who almost fear that oh, how can we demonstrate ROI in um in a very in an increasingly data driven marketplace? But your perspective is, is is a fantastic way to look at it because it's saying um, companies are going to be able to f- be more focused in their marketing efforts and deploy uh, promotional products more effectively, and therefore get those better results that they're looking for and then they're going to keep wanting to come back to 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 buy more because they're getting results they're looking for so that's i think that's an interesting uh perspective for the industry to um to kind of zero in on um talking about changes going forward though um in in what major ways do you think the um the industry will be different um say a decade from now um well uh, I, I believe that consolidation that we're seeing, its although it's more prevalent on the supplier side than the distributor side, mm-hmm. I see that continuing uh, in both sides uh, of the business. And I think that uh, mid-sized and larger companies will be more sophisticated in their uh, demands from their, uh, their vendors and uh, they're going to insist on the sorts of things that uh, it's going to take a fair amount of scale to be able to provide. Uh, I think that the investments in technology 
are, are going to uh, uh, lead to uh, the, you know the same consolidation. That's just occurring because of the acquisitions, but I see market share shift mm-hmm. occurring because of the technology investments, uh, because of what it's going to take on the sourcing side. Uh, there are some uh, types of orders that uh, really never could go through our traditional approach. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not a large percentage, but uh, those orders we've got to, you know, everybody will have to be very careful with. Mm-hmm. And if you're not getting it through the right sources, you're going to get terribly uh, embarrassed. Uh, so uh, it, it, that's what I see. You know, it's just you know, more efficiency in the supply chain, more consolidation, greater emphasis on technology. Interesting. All right. Last one here for you. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to a young person just starting out in, in the promo business, um, what would that be? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, you've, whatever you're doing, you're there to create value. Mm-hmm. Whether you're working in in management or staff or you're a salesperson, mm-hmm. you're there to create value. So you, you've you've got to be aware of who your customer is and how you're going to create value for them. You want to you want to be somebody who's providing solutions. To do that, it takes a lot more listening than it does talking. Ask open-ended questions. Find out what the true concerns of your customer are, and uh, uh, devise solutions that meet those those needs. Uh, that, that's what I would say uh, would be the, the number one piece of advice I give people. And it's and it's very good advice at that. Um, it's a perfect place to end. Um, Mark Simon, CEO of Halo Branded Solutions and Counselors, 2019 Person of the Year. Thank you so much for um, chatting with us today. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, any final thoughts? No, I, uh, Chris, I, I very much appreciate uh, uh, this acknowledgement from uh, ASI and I, you know, and I, as I said on the uh, uh, on the stage uh, during the uh, event, uh, I'm very appreciative of Suzanne and Norman Cohn and their family, and uh, uh, Tim Andrews and everybody at ASI. Uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of the trust that you mentioned a couple of companies, the trust that Tom Savio and Jerry Chamberlain and uh, Jeff Hall, Mitch Munger, and countless others have shown in in us, and I'm deeply, deeply appreciative of the incredible job that our management team does and uh, how we meet the challenges, how our group meets the challenges every day. And there are always challenges every day in this industry. So I, I thank everybody for that. All right, Mark. Well, thank you again so much for speaking with us, everybody. That was Mark Simon, Counselor's 2019 Person of the Year.